the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by Speaker Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House of Representatives. Good morning, Mr. Speaker. Welcome to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hugh, it's a delight to be with you. Thank you for being here this morning. I would like to get an update on the supplemental funding for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and the changes to border law before we talk about Harvard. Where is that and what do you expect to happen? Listen, from the day I got the gavel to you, I mean, quite literally within 24 hours, I went to the Situation Room and I sat down with Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor. I've talked to the Secretary of Defense. I've talked to uh, the Secretary of State, everyone who will listen to the White House. And I told him the same thing. I said, listen, we understand there will be a supplemental spending package, but you must address the U.S. border. See, we believe very clearly, and I think the American people agree with us, that national security begins at our own borders. We have to maintain our own sovereignty so that we can project peace to your strength and help our friends. And so I don't think that's an outrageous uh, request. They've known about it for over six weeks. I've pushed and prodded and, and begged them to get us more details and to get us something, some movement to have transformational change at that border. And they've done nothing. And so here we are on the eve uh, virtually of, of Christmas and the end of the year. And the White House, as we talked this morning, has not moved in our direction on that issue. And I've told them very clearly where we stand. What are Republicans asking for in terms of the border changes, Mr. Speaker? Well, we have to stem the flow, Hugh. I mean, 7 million, roughly 7 million known border crossings illegally, two, at least 2 million gotaways. That's twice the, the population of my state of Louisiana. We had 12,000 people come over the border one day last week on Wednesday. It's not sustainable. You know, almost 300 suspects on the terrorism watch list are here. We, we have to have changes and policies can do this. The president has the power to do this. We need to fix the broken parole system, reform the asylum uh, problem there. We have a, you know, return to some of these policies that work so well to stem the flow during the Trump administration, we remain in Mexico, in catch and release, maybe finish the wall. We don't have to do all that together. But the House passed H.R. 2, which is our signature piece of legislation, over six months ago. It sat on Chuck Schumer's desk collecting dust. They seem not to care about this issue. Now, they've given lip service to it over the last couple of weeks now, recognizing that something must be done. But, but again, as we sit here this morning, they've sent us nothing to even negotiate. And that is inexcusable. There are four national security issues, Taiwan, Ukraine, Israel and the border. And as far as I can tell, there's agreement on three of them. But the fourth, there isn't. But the fourth is the one that has 300 terrorist watch list suspects coming in. And that's the ones we know about. We don't know about this. The Iranians are pretty good at this, Mr. Speaker. Do they not right. understand that over there at the White House? They seem not to understand or to care. And that's a real problem. Listen, on, on Ukraine, we stand with Ukraine against Putin's aggression. Everyone understands that he must be stopped. This is a very serious issue. But, you know, the White House is seeking billions in funding 
on that issue, they haven't given us any clear strategy, no, no appropriate oversight. They've not explained to us what the end game is. I mean, our, the U.S. ambassador to, to Ukraine told me in my office just a few weeks ago that she believes the end game is a return into the 1991 boundary lines, which is to retake Crimea. And I said, ma'am, are you aware that that's not what your boss says? I mean, they don't even know in the White House itself what the strategy is. And so you have a lot of members in the House. We're going home to constituents and, and having town halls in their districts, and they're being asked serious questions about this. Why are we securing the border of a foreign country and taking care of their needs when we're not doing it here at home? And that's a tough, tough question to answer. The White House has to help us in that regard, and they haven't. Mr. Speaker, if they came up with the language and the reforms on the border that you've asked for, would you vote for the funding for Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine? I just want to make it clear that they are holding us up on the border, and only the border is stopping this package. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. If they did that and gave us a couple of details on Ukraine, we could get this thing through. Um, it, it doesn't have to be all in one package. It should be separately, but we could move those measures quickly, and we would have the votes in the House. We understand the, the dire situation that we're in. But the White House has to take care of our nation, and they're not doing it. And that's why our constituents are demanding answers, and that's why we have to hold the line on this. We've got to force their hand to, to, to stem the flow at our southern border. It's too dangerous to do anything else. Every Republican in the Senate agrees with that. Am I correct? Every Republican in the Senate wants the border changes made in the supplemental package or adjacent to the supplemental package. Am I correct? They have shown that with their votes. Yes. And, and every Democrat in the Senate voted to stop that progress. And, and that's where we are. We have an impasse between the two parties. And I, look, I've been a good faith negotiator here with, with Chuck Schumer and all of my colleagues on the other side to tell them that this is not a political game. I'm, not, I'm being very forthright. I'm being operating in good faith. I'm telling you, we have to do this for the people. And, and ironically, you, you and I both know this would help the president. I mean, politically. I mean, I was in New York the last two weekends. The people of New York are outraged over the border. I mean, they're overrunning Manhattan and New York City illegals. They can't handle it. And all the cities, even in the, the big blue cities that used to be sanctuary cities, right, they're, they're crying out for help. The Democrats need to do this as well as the Republicans. And I, for the life of me, Hugh, I do not know why they won't be reasonable to negotiate this. So are you in danger of going home without any of these four things moving? Because I understand they're, they're a package. There are four national security issues. They all have to be dealt with. They are in one package and you will go home, right? If that package doesn't pass. Listen, Hugh, let me remind everybody, all your listeners, because your, your listeners are savvy. They know people are keeping score. We have done our job. The House passed the Israel aid package uh, six weeks ago. Send it over there. It's collecting dust. $14.5 billion is exactly what was requested, and we paid for that. We didn't go borrow it from some other nation to send it to Israel. We paid for it here. But again, what's Chuck Schumer done with that? Nothing. Nothing. It's sitting on his desk. We're ready. We're, we're working. We've been at this every day, and we have been very clear from day one since I took the gavel. As I said, I've told them exactly what we need to get it done, and they've just ignored it. I think they, I think they thought we were bluffing or something, but this is not a game. Are you willing to send the House home if they do not act within this week? Well, Hugh, I mean, we don't uh, I don't know what else to do. I, I, I'm not going to have everybody sit here through Christmas twiddling their thumbs. They've not sent me anything. And, you know, I told I told the leaders and the, the Democrat leaders in the Senate that as late as yesterday, send us something to work on. They haven't done it. They haven't done it. So what else are we to do? 
you know, we're willing to work. The House members will, will work. We've shown that over and over and over. But we're not getting any cooperation from the White House and the, and the Senate Democrats at all. All right, Mr. Speaker, then we are at an impasse and it's up to the Democrats either to send everyone home or not. Now, I want to bring up the old Solomon Amendment. In 2006, the Congress passed a Solomon Amendment, which gave America's universities a choice. Allow the military to recruit on your campuses or we're not sending you any more money. I would like to give every university, beginning with my alma mater, Harvard, a choice. Either you condemn and act against anti-Semitism on your campus and sign a statement to that effect, or we're cutting you off. What is the chance of cutting off these anti-Semitic universities, beginning with Harvard, whose president refused to condemn as um, anti-Semitic calls for genocide? But we were appalled by that outrageous testimony. It just, just staggering. We kind of know what they think. We sort of know the hypocrisy exists there, but you've never seen it uh, on such glaring display. And Harvard, MIT, University of Pennsylvania, you know, we've already had the resignation of the president there, Liz McGill. Um, as, as Chairwoman Elise Stefanik uh, says of our Republican conference who evoked those responses, you know, one down, two to go. I, I think there needs to be real accountability, Hugh. And I think that what you're referring to with the Solomon Amendment may be one approach. We've, we've launched an investigation here in the House of all this federal funding that these institutions receive, and we have to demand accountability in every possible way. I think everything's on the table right now. Uh, the Harvard Corporation has indicated this morning, according to the New York Times, they are retaining President Gay. So they are basically thumbing their nose at the Congress and at the outrage about Harvard. So my alma mater, now, they got $625 million from the federal government. That is unacceptable, Speaker Johnson. Can you do something this year before the end of the year in the package that I expect will move? Because Democrats are nuts not to send money to Israel, to Ukraine, to Taiwan, and to the border. They're nuts if they don't do that. But would you attach a Solomon-like amendment to this package? Look, I would like to. Um, I don't know how much time we're going to have to do all that. But again, it depends on what is sent over. Um, but as I said, everything is on the table. These are fast moving developments. But I, I could not agree with you more. We have to have accountability. It is inexcusable. These institutions are receiving so many taxpayer dollars when they can't even stand up for the basic human rights of their Jewish students. I mean, the idea that they would not call out uh, cries for uh, the, the, the annihilation of the Jewish state and the Jewish people is just it's just unbelievable to us. Um, and, and so we, we're, everything is on the table, Hugh. We'll, we'll see. Now, I, I just want you to take our audience into the details here, Mr. Speaker. This is not hard. This is actually a couple of pages of legislation. It may be 10. It's not hard. Who moves the ball forward at this point? You've sent over the bills. I think it's got to be Majority Leader Schumer who sends over a bill, and then you go to a conference. Is that right? That, that's right. That's how it works. And uh, my suspicion is that he's awaiting on some sort of green light or signal from the White House um, that they typically move in tandem on these things. But, you know, look, I'll tell you, I have been in the skiff, you know, confidentially in the private settings. I've said publicly, I said this most recently on the stage in the congressional auditorium in front of all of our colleagues uh, just late last week. I, I, I told uh, the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, all of them. These are the necessary ingredients. This is not difficult. We need transformational change on the border, which you could do with a stroke of a pen. And we need clarity on exactly what and how the money is going to be spent in Ukraine and what the what the strategy is. Very, very simple, very reasonable request. You, they've not delivered on any of those things. So what am I to do? So is the transformational change on a border reduced to writing from our side? And I'm a Republican, so everyone knows that. Has our side written down what we want? 
Yes, and, and uh, we sent it over there uh, six, uh, six months ago, HR2, and it has those provisions I talked about, the parole reforms and asylum reforms and uh, return to re- reinstates the remain in Mexico policy, ends catch and release, and uh, finished it even has some, some construction of the wall. Um, those ingredients are necessary because they're interlocking, and if you, if, you don't, if you only do one or two of them, it doesn't solve the problem. You have to have all these policies kind of together, and they know that. They know that. But, but, but as I said, as we are speaking this morning, they've not even come back and said, oh, gee, we'll give you two of the, you know, two of the five or three of the five. Nothing. They haven't sent anything back in return. There's no return volley. So I stand here awaiting them. Last question, Mr. Speaker. Do you believe the president is involved in these decisions? Because he, he's clearly, clearly been on the road campaigning and he's clearly been misspeaking at everything. Do you think he's involved? I, I don't believe he's directly involved. Uh, I, obviously, this is uh, his his uh, lieutenants and staff level that are handling this. But we certainly demand that the president does get involved. It's ultimately the buck stops at his desk, and this is far, far overdue. And you're available to go meet with him if he calls you over today. Any moment, anytime. Mr. Speaker, thank you. Keep coming back. I appreciate it very much. Merry Christmas to you if I don't talk to you again before the Christmas and a Happy New Year. That's Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana, Speaker of the House of Representatives. We are in an incredible situation where we don't have a president who's actually doing anything. Stay tuned, America. I'm Duke Hewitt. But we know this year's Hanukkah is different. It's been 65 years since the deadliest day of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. 65 years. Welcome back, America. That was President Biden yesterday. Obviously, he meant to say 65 days, and he meant to say it twice, but he never said it even once. Senator Tom Cotton joins me. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Hugh. It's good to be on with you. I'm glad that you speak Biden, because I had no clue what he was talking about. Uh, well, it is. So uh, it's, it's, and, uh, and it's further evidence of why his handlers at the White House generally don't let him out in public after 4 p.m. You know, Speaker Johnson joined me last hour. And I asked him if the president had been involved in negotiations over the supplemental with funding for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan and fixes for the border. He said not once, not at all. And he's ready to go. Have anyone at the Senate heard from President Biden? Uh, No, Hugh, not to my knowledge. I mean, I think Senator McConnell has spoken to him twice at Senator McConnell's initiative to try to explain to him that uh, while Republicans um, want to support Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan, we also have to put our own border security first at a time when 12,000 illegal migrants are flooding our country every single day. Yet Joe Biden is still not engaged on it. In fact, Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer have deputized Chris Murphy as their point person in these negotiations. And, and Chris Murphy is one of the far left progressives in the Senate. He, he's one of the probably 15 or 20 Democrats who should probably be voting against any compromise legislation that actually helps secure our border. Um, so I just think it shows that Currently, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Biden is not serious uh, about passing this legislation. He's still in the clutches of the former left ideologues that are riding the saddle in the Democratic Party. Well, uh, S- S- Senator Cotton, what are the Republicans asking on the Senate side be done at the border? Uh, pretty simple solution to you. The reason why we have 12,000 migrants a day, and, and again, just to stress the astonishing scale of 12,000 migrants a day, Jay Johnson Secretary of Homeland Security for Barack Obama has said that 1,000 a day will stress and overwhelm our system. Or to put it differently, 12,000 a day for a week would be almost as large as Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, the reason we have that is President Biden has basically held, a, uh, held up a giant sign 
uh, a welcome sign from the entire world saying that if you get to our border, we'll let you in. We'll let you in through abuses of the asylum system and the parole system. Um, so we are simply insisting that if the president is not going to enforce the asylum and parole laws as written and intended by past Congresses, and this Congress must pass new laws that will limit the president's discretion to abuse those laws. So is the language in black and white, I mean, has it been reduced to writing? Yeah. So the, the point, yes, we have proposals uh, that we have sent to, to Democrats. Democrats are scared of their own shadow. They're, they won't even put in, in writing concepts. They're so afraid of their far left activist hue. Seriously, like they refuse not only to, to put down actual legislative text that could be passed into law, they refuse to reduce to writing the proposals they're making. Uh, in many cases, they won't even put in an email because they're afraid of the far left activists in the Democratic Party getting wind of it and rising up in arms. Uh, that's what, how what? serious the Democrats are right now. I can normally understand the other team's uh, strategy, even if I don't agree with it. I have no idea what they expect to happen. We're, we need to fund Israel. We need to fund Ukraine. We need to fund Taiwan. And we need to fix the border. We're not moving. We being Republicans, we're not moving. Do they not no, understand sure. that? Here we're not, and it's disappointing because this legislation is urgently needed. Uh, we've had a crisis on our border now for years. I wish we would have passed it months ago, uh, but since the Democrats have not gotten serious about it, still to this day, uh, then it looks like we're going to go into the Christmas holiday without legislation that will secure our own border or that will help Ukraine fight against Russia's war in aggression or Israel to destroy Hamas or Taiwan to deter China. Is part of this, Senator Cotton, the fact that the hard left of the Democratic Party do not want to help Israel? There's some element, I think, Hugh, uh, and probably a lot of the voices who want to have an open border here would also condemn Israel for war crimes and genocide and, um, you know, occupation and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, you had one Democrat, Bernie Sanders, last week vote against um, Chuck Schumer's woefully inadequate proposal specifically on the grounds that it gave too much aid to Israel and didn't put uh, strings and conditions on that aid. Um, but I, I think probably the overriding concern is that the Democrats largely think that 12,000 illegal migrants a day is just fine. In fact, that they shouldn't even be illegal. The law should recognize them. If you show up at our border and want to come in, irrespective of the reason why, we should let you in. All right. Uh, l- let me conclude this way, Senator. I played President Biden stumbling and he stumbles every day. I genuinely am worried. I don't know who's running the White House. Do you folks have any idea? Did the did Leader McConnell say the president is actually in charge and running things? Uh, he, he did not opine on the president's condition. I mean, I think it's plain for anyone to see, though, from the clips you just played or um, the reports of the president at other of these Christmas parties or Hanukkah parties or public statements that he's diminished significantly, not just from his time as senator's vice president, but even from his time on the trail when he was already somewhat diminished. Um, look, I think most people in the administration, to include cabinet officials and senior White House aides, don't know the president's true state. I think it's very, very closely protected by his wife uh, and just two or three of his longest-serving aides are in the White House that are like the Praetorian guards surrounding him from any outside influences. And to be clear, outside influences include most people in the White House. Do you think this can actually work for a year? I mean, can it work until November? It, it's it, it's impossible to work until November. There's no COVID. No, uh, Hugh, I, I don't. I don't think the president can run a campaign that's not even in the Rose Garden because he can't even 
the Rose Garden on the teleprompter. Um, and I, I think it's going to be increasingly exposed. The American people want a president who is strong and vigorous in the defense of their interests and the pursuit of their ambitions and aspirations. Um, I mean, it's not the only reason why Joe Biden is polling so poorly right now. It's also the results uh, of his failed policies. But uh, most Americans have serious reservations, including many Democrats, about the president's ability to serve not just another four years, frankly, but a year office. Now, uh, Senator, I want to close by talking about our alma mater. It's been reported this morning that uh, Claudine Gay will remain as president at Harvard. I want a Solomon Amendment requiring every na- every college and university in this country that receives federal aid to attest to their anti-Semitic policies and to their resolution to expel people who threaten Jews by chanting, uh, obviously, uh, assault-like chants. Is there any chance of getting such language through? Well, it's an interesting idea, Hugh. Uh, I suspect, though, the Democrats would lock arms against such a proposal since higher education and college campuses are one of their holiest of holies uh, and their sources of power uh, as an institution in this country. I, I think it's very disappointing that the uh, governing boards of Harvard are going to cave into leftist pressure. And actually, I shouldn't say the caves, since they're all left-wingers for the most part anyway, um, and are going to keep uh, president, the president in her position after that woeful and pathetic performance last week. Um, you know, at least the Harvard, or I'm sorry, uh, do, do you are you optimistic that clarity is going to dawn in this country? I mean, it's the border, the anti-Semitism, standing with Israel. These are all now clarifying issues. I think we have the most clarity. And we got Jack Smith running up the Supreme Court so he can put the former president on trial before the election. Do you, do you think anybody doesn't know what's going on here? I think you see uh, the citadels of culture and politics. Uh, and business in our country um, scared that they're losing their grasp on power, you know, the one source of power in this country that they don't have a lock on, fortunately, the most important source of power, which is the people. And the people, uh, I think, are going to deliver a strong rebuke to all the leftist citadels uh, come November next year. I hope you're right. Senator Tom Cotton. Talk to you again next week. I hope so, at least. And if not, Merry Christmas to you. Follow him at Send Tom Cotton on X, the site formerly known as Twitter. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You here live inside the Beltway heading west tonight and uh, tomorrow Morgan Ortegas will be in for me. Right now I'm joined by David McCormick running for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania. Hi, David. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hey, good morning, Hugh. How are you? I'm great. I uh, congratulations on West Point's win. 
That was maybe the best edition of America's Game that I've ever watched. But as a Navy family, I was deeply disappointed. Were you Were you a little bit worried there at yeah. the end? I was. You know, it always comes down to the wire. And uh, the great thing about that game, no matter who wins, whether it's Army or Navy, America always wins. It's such a great demonstration of uh, patriotism. Gillette Stadium was absolutely full. And uh, when I'm the senator from Pennsylvania, the first thing I'm going to do is try to get that game back to Philadelphia. That was uh, that was hard to see it happen in, in uh, Boston. But uh, Philadelphia's in the future. Well, let's talk about that race, uh, Dave McCormick. Uh, right now, the president is MIA. I just talked with Speaker Johnson. They have a supplemental with funding for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and changes to the border. And the president is not involved. He has not been involved from the beginning. He is apparently MIA on everything. What do you make of what's going on in the White House? Well, listen, this is a time, uh, obviously, you know, I'm 58 years old and I've lived through the Cold War and the, the Iraq War and the financial crisis. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly worried about all these crises happening simultaneously. And this is a moment where you need steady leadership. And so I'm very, I'm very worried about that. I'm, I'm heartened by what Speaker Johnson said. I, I saw him recently and I think he's got a good path to try to make movement happen on all these key things. I'm particularly worried about Israel getting the the support it needs to be able to uh, finalize the um, the destruction of Hamas. And uh, and all these things are, are essentially creating uncertainty in the world about America's leadership. And, and this weakness has to be replaced. Now, now, Dave McCormick, this is not hard. What I can understand is everybody wants to help Israel. Everyone wants to help Ukraine. Everyone wants to help Taiwan. And everybody ought to want to fix the border. So what do you think yeah. is going on in the White House? I don't know. I mean, honestly, Hugh, I, I'm, 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 I'm worried about it. I, I heard your clip and your worries about uh, the, the president's ability to move decisively on these things. But uh, we have a Republican Party that I think is coming together on these key issues and is ready to lead. And uh, we need a counterpart in the White House that can, that can go step, and st- step on step with us. Uh, I want to play that clip in case someone just joined us. Some of our affiliates only take this hour and then they play the other two. Let's play clip number uh, nine for the audience. But we know this year's Hanukkah is different. It's been 65 years since the deadliest day of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. 65 years. Now, uh, Dave McCormick, I often misspeak. Like every day, three or four times a day, probably in the course of this hour, I might mispronounce McCormick before I'm done. But I know when I've done it and I don't do it twice. What do you make of that? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's worrying. And it, as you know, this job uh, is the most stressful, demanding job in the world. And, um, and we need someone who can deal with multiple crises at the same time. So I think it's, a, it's just reinforcement of the need to replace the president in 2024. But I also think um, what's happening on this question of Israel and, and Hamas is creating huge dissonance within the Democratic Party, because you have a growing divide where uh, there's a significant portion of our of our leaders, college presidents and so forth that are not able to exercise moral clarity in the most straightforward of situations on the most simple questions about good and evil and what happened on October 7th. So that in and of itself is a huge uh, travesty. And that's something that the president needs to call out. And certainly uh, I and others have been calling out because it's really emblematic of a of a deterioration in our country 
uh, and some of the challenges that we're having with a progressive ideology that isn't able to uh, d- uh, uh, distinguish the difference between good and evil and, um, and what's necessary to keep America great. Uh, Dave McCormick, your governor, Josh Shapiro, Democrat, has, had called on Penn to make changes, and Penn got rid of their president. Harvard this morning announced they're keeping Claudine Gay. What's the difference between Penn and Harvard? And I think it comes down to Penny Pritzker being the chairman of the Harvard Corporation. But what does Dave McCormick think? Well, listen, I was uh, one of the, the the first people to call out uh, the the need for the Penn president to be replaced because I thought the handling of the entire situation before the testimony was was very weak. And this is a moment; it's a test uh, between uh, you know strength and not strength, and leadership and not leadership. And so I, I watched that hearing. I thought all three presidents were horrifically bad. I, I think all three of them should be replaced. And, you know, listen, this is uh, absolutely critical that our kids be in an environment where they're able to uh, have leaders that distinguish between good and evil and encourage an environment where people can, can, can speak up the inconsistencies, the hypocrisy of how uh, these presidents are dealing with this issue versus other issues, woke issues in terms of uh, the double standard is really um, absolutely laughable. And so I think they all should be replaced. Now, there was a Solomon Amendment um, that covered every university and college in America in 2006, uh, Mr. McCormick, which required that either you let the American military recruit on your campus or you're not getting any dollars from us. And it passed and it was challenged and they up, the Supreme Court upheld that 9-0. Do we need a statement of of uh, intent from every college and university to protect its Jewish students like the Solomon Amendment with the same, and we cannot regulate speech, but we can certainly regulate conduct, and we can insist that they sign such a thing. Yeah, I think um, federal funding, taxpayer dollars, should be tied um, to creating an environment um, that's not anti-Semitic, an environment that is absolutely uh, allows for free speech, but also um, punishes and, and and does not permit conduct along the lines of what you said. And so I think some of those ideas are very good ideas. And um, I think what's happening here is a wake-up call um, of what's going on in our universities. And I think it's an opportunity for our, our Congress, uh, our, our Senate, our House to make um, legislative proposals that would address it along the lines of what you're saying. All right, let's turn back to Israel, uh, Dave McCormick. You're a member, a veteran of the 82nd Airborne uh, right now, the National Security Advisor of Israel, I just finished editing a column for The Post, that stunned me. He said, either Hezbollah moves back six miles from the border or we are going to make them move back. What do you interpret that as meaning? And do you expect a hot war on the northern border of Israel quickly? You know, I, I, I wouldn't presume to know um, the ins and outs of, of their calculations at the moment. I would say the following. What's happened? has shown um, what, what the Israelis have been saying for, for, for decades, which is, you know, they're, they're in a position where their, their existential, um, their existence is tested and challenged every day. And so I fully support Israel's ability to ensure that it protects itself. And, you know, what happened with Hamas was shocking, shocking um, the vulnerability that it showed, um, the, the failure that it showed on the part of the Israelis in terms of defending itself. But it certainly also strengthened their resolve to make sure that those sorts of, of threats uh, can't be allowed to exist. So I'm not sure how they'll handle Hezbollah. Hezbollah is obviously a much more significant military force than Hamas. Um, I have a lot of faith in the, the leadership of the Israeli military to make those calculations. 
but I certainly support their um, need uh, to protect themselves and uh, offensively do so um, to ensure that a preemptive attack can't come uh, raining down on Israel like it did on October 7th. Two last questions, Dave McCormick. The first one is, are you satisfied with the American military response to the attacks on our troops and our ships from both the Houthis and Iranian-backed militias and maybe the Quds Force itself in Iraq? No, uh, but let's let's get to the root cause here. The root cause of being tested and challenged like we are is a belief that America is weak, a belief that America will not respond decisively and deter bad behavior. And so uh, the the response to these attacks, uh, a couple hundred or so in, in recent months, is further evidence of that. And they don't believe our military is going to be responsive. They don't believe our president is going to be decisive. And that is the problem. So we have to reassert deterrence. And the way you reassert deterrence is, uh, is by demonstrating strength. It's, uh, it's uh, you punch me, I punch you harder and tougher. Um, it's creating unpredictability. And uh, we have none of those things right now. And, uh, and that's the challenge. And that's why we need new leadership in, in the White House and new leadership that's going to uh, support military leaders who operate in that way. Last question, Dave McCormick. What is your website? Because a lot of people want to get involved in politics who've never been involved before. You're the only Republican running in Pennsylvania against Casper, the friendly Senator Bob Casey. You never see him. He's a ghost. Where do people find Dave McCormick online? Dave McCormick, PA.com. And uh, we'd, we'd love to get uh, people involved. This is really a contrast between a, a rubber stamp senator, status quo, and somebody who's going to shake things up. Dave McCormick, PA.com. Dave McCormick, PA.com. That's not hard. Even the Steelers fans are going to remember that. Dave McCormick, PA.com. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. December 11th, today is December 12th. David M. Drucker joins me. You can follow David on X at David M. Drucker. Good morning, David, with the dispatch. So the president did it again, uh, mangled a perfectly obvious thing to say, and then he told the story again about the house fire that wasn't a house fire. And now he's added a story about President Reagan getting a Marine one for his aneurysm. Uh, I am told that at the White House press briefing, a press party this year, he simply had to get the hook from Jill Biden. Were you there? Uh, I was not there. So what do you think about the president? I heard about it. What do you think about the president's infirmity? Well, I, I don't think it matters. Well, first of all, let me say that it's irrelevant what I think, especially uh, at my pay grade, but it does matter what voters think. And we know that voters are very concerned about his age, and we know that every time these sorts of things happen, it doesn't do anything to help him dispel concerns about his age. But broadly, I'd say the biggest problem he has with his age is that these are, are this is a concern that voters appear to have that is not ephemeral. And that there's really nothing, well, there's nothing he can do about it because under the best of circumstances for him and anybody, you just keep getting older. You know, David, I've got 81-year-old in-laws, and they're lovely and they're, they're competent, but they have no short-term memory capability. I mean, you can tell them something an hour ago that they won't remember. They won't remember a movie. They, said. they can remember everything that happened 30 years ago. I think that's what we've got with the president, just short-term memory loss. Does a country elect anyone like that? Well, we're going to find out. You know, over the past few years, we a lot of people have had a lot of opinions about what the country will elect or won't elect. And some of those, um, 
suppositions have been turned on their head. So we shall see. And we'll, you know, we'll see how the president is able to handle the grind of a campaign. What's been interesting to me, Hugh, uh, related to this is that the, for the last 10 days or so, the president has been on the road constantly. He's been raising money, but that's been travel. That's been uh, campaign-like appearances. That's been meetings with donors. It's been, he's been crisscrossing the country. So he is, he is unlike the 2020 campaign, once COVID uh, took hold, he has been out there. He has been traveling heavily, and we'll see how it impacts him um, going forward. But obviously, this is a concern that's not going away. Um, every time we look at any piece of data, it's there, and it's just something he's going to have to deal with. Well, we never get film of those press of those fundraisers, right, David? He goes in, he shakes hands, he pretends to know who you are, and then he takes your check and goes home. I I will say that the White House puts out uh, verbatim uh, transcripts, and there is always press in there. The pool, the White House pool, is always in there, letting us know what happens, where they are, what the settings like. This may come as a shock to you, but I don't trust the White House press pool to tell us how he looks and sounds. Well, I've actually found by reading, listen, Hugh, I, I won't argue the press with you because uh, in, in, you know, in some cases we agree. What I will say, because I read these pool reports, is that um, they've been what appears to me to be rather descriptive and honest about uh, what the president says and how he interacts with people and how he looks. Did it, did it say he got the hook at the White House press party from Dr. Jill? Well, I read this from somewhere, and it may have been a pool report. I'll have to check. So this is something well, I, we all knew. And I, I listen to Commentary Magazine pod every day, it's and it's it's just brutal. They're much more brutal than I am about where the president is. Do you, do you listen to that, by the way? They think it's over. They think the Republican primary is over. Jay Pod and his gang, his Yancey straight gang, they think Donald Trump's going to be the nominee and Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. Do you think that, David? I, I have no idea. I don't think, I don't think anything well, is cast in stone. Well, listen, I've been through enough lately that I don't think anything is cast in stone either. However, when you look at the new poll in Iowa that shows uh, Trump, and it's the Selzer poll, it's not any poll. She's got a history. She's good at this. She's foreshadowed upset victories before. She's been accurate, not always, but often. And when she shows Donald Trump going from October to early December gaining eight points and Ron DeSantis only gaining three, and, and when you see Donald Trump solidifying his support in this survey across all demographics uh, where voters are not concerned at all about any of you know, his potential challenges, the legal issues, anything, um, it starts to look like this could be wrapped up pretty quickly. Okay. But I, just, I, got a, I got a quick exit question politics. for you. Donald Trump is 77. Joe Biden is 81. Xi Jinping is 70. Vladimir Putin is, I think, 71. Pope Francis is 88 or 87. And Khamenei is 85 or 88. What are the odds that all of those are alive at the end of 2024? (laughs) Well, if it were up to me, Khamenei would be the first to go. Well, we don't get to pick. I'm just saying, isn't one of them going to die next year? (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, I don't know, but if I did get to pick, now you get an opinion from me. You want an opinion? I hope those two go first. <laughs> I w- I'm with you on that. May, may, may the good <laughs> Lord take Khamenei first and judge him. But I, I got to tell you, 
I have never, ever, I'm 67, I've never seen the world led by six people, the youngest of whom is 70 years old. That's just strange. Stay tuned, America. I'll be back. Uh, Can I ask you for a moment, please? Please, to think about the children of prisoners and to be generous right now. Uh, Give a listen to Dennis Harris talking about Angel Tree. The banner is at the top of HughHewitt.com. It was such a blessing to assist these men and women sign up their children for Angel Tree. Many of the inmates thanked us for being there and shared how they really appreciated Angel Tree. One man handed me his Angel Tree form for review and said when he gets out of prison, he'd be supporting Angel Tree because it's been a blessing to his child for three years. Uh, It's Denise, not Dennis. I knew I made the mistake. And so I've corrected it, unlike the president. Denise was talking. She's a volunteer. The banner for Angel Tree is at the top of HughHewitt.com. The phone number to call, the phone number to call is 888-206-2764. And if you can use your computer, if you're a Steelers fan, you have to wait for the banner to show up at the top of HughHewitt.com. It's that simple. It is that easy. I begin with Byron York of the Washington Examiner. He of Fox News fame as well. Good morning, Byron. Good morning, Hugh. So, Byron, I've got some stats here. Uh, The president of the People's Republic of China, Mr. Xi, is 70 years old. Mr. Putin of Russia is 71 years old. Mr. Netanyahu of Israel is 74 years old. President, former President Trump is 77 years old. Current President Biden is 81 years old. The supreme leader of Iran is 84 years old and the pope is 86 years old. Who do you think goes out in 2024? Well, I heard you ask uh, David Drucker this question, and I was thinking as he did of the Social Security actuarial tables available on the web, and everybody has a life expectancy, all right? A person who makes it to 85 years uh, has an expectancy to make it another, I don't know, two, three, four years. I've been didn't look at the table. So my guess is they're all going to be around at the end of 2024. But that's just my guess. You know, the the average life expectancy for a Chinese man, Xi is 70, is 75. For a Russian man, Putin is 71 to 71. For a Jewish Israeli man is 82.7 years, by the way. Net new 74. Uh, For an American man, it's 73. And former President Trump is 77. And President Biden is 81. For an Iranian man, they, they lose in this contest. 71 years old, and Khomeini is 84. And for an Argentinian man, 73, and the Pope is 86. I'm just saying we could wake up one day and all six of them could be gone, Byron. <laughs> and us too. Uh, well, I suppose. Every- we're, we're still on the, uh, we're on the right side of the over-under, Byron. Listen, everybody, like I said, everybody has a life expectancy, and the life expectancies you're talking about are for all the people or all the men in a particular country. And they include the people who die in childhood, the the young people who kill themselves in a car, the opioid addiction. I mean, they include all of that stuff. So if, uh, like Donald Trump, you make it to 77 years of age, the likelihood is you're going to make it to uh, a few years more than that. I remember when I did a piece in 20. 19 saying Joe Biden is too old to be president. He's just too old to be president. That's what I wrote 2019. 
And uh, I looked at the at the the tables, and it showed that uh, a seventy eight year old man would probably live <clears throat> to be eighty nine, I think, eighty eight or eighty nine. And so he would he would barely make it through two terms, but you know that the, the last two years might not be his most productive years. So I, I'm telling you, I just I just think all of these players, the bad players and the good players. Um, might well all be here at the end of 2024. I mean, I, I, I know, you know, you say you don't know who's going to be the candidates next year. Well, no, we don't really, we never know exactly what's going to happen. But right now, it looks very much like the Democratic candidate for president is going to be Joe Biden and the Republican candidate for president is going to be Donald Trump. And that is a choice that millions of Americans do not want but it looks like that's what they're going to get. It does. Uh, and by the way, Prime Minister Modi of India, he is 71. So uh, the septuagenarian, octogenarian, I think those are the seven most important people in the world. Um, and, and, and some people argue with me about the Pope, but I think he's pretty important. And I, think, I, I don't think there's ever been a time in world history, recorded world history, when the seven most important people and the most powerful people in the world were above 70. Do you? Uh, not that I can remember. You left Taylor Swift off your list, but not. I did. Not that I, can I did, remember. and 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 the Swifties can be upset with me. Uh, so, Byron, let me switch to to the Iowa poll that came out. It does yep. look like Donald Trump has got this thing locked and loaded and put away. Do you agree with that? Well, yeah, it would, it would take some sort of extraordinary event uh, to change to change things. And you know, I, I was looking at this pretty closely yesterday. And basically what it showed was that uh, Trump's lead in Iowa has grown since the last Des Moines Register poll in um, in October. And now he's over 50 percent. He's at 51 percent. Ron DeSantis is at 19 percent. He was in, at 16 percent in, in October. And Haley, uh, Nikki Haley was also at 16 percent in October, and she's in the same place today. So Trump has a... Um, just a, just a huge what thirty two point lead over uh, Ron DeSantis. And to tell you the truth, and I, I confess this yesterday, I was getting close to writing a DeSantis comeback story because it appeared that he was doing pretty well in Iowa. And indeed, his his position has actually improved. I think he stopped the the bleeding and has has started getting better. But he's so far behind. And as far as polling error is concerned. The uh, the Des Moines Register poll considered, you know, the gold standard in Iowa, but it was wrong in 2016. If you remember, it showed um, Trump winning the Iowa caucuses 28 to 23. That was the last one before the uh, the caucuses. And in fact, Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucuses 28 to 24 over Trump. But we're talking about errors of four, maybe five points. And in in a race today in which Trump leads by 32, so um, so right now you have to say the the pollster Ann Seltzer called Trump's lead commanding. You'd have to say that's that's true. Now, right now, Byron, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, the only way that he's not the nominee is if two out of the other three drop out, and I mean before New Hampshire. Chris Christie told me yesterday he's not dropping out 100. percent So I believe him. He's not going to drop out. No, they're going to there's no way Donald Trump doesn't win New Hampshire unless two out of those three drop out. Do you agree with my premise? Yeah, I think. Well, f first of all, if if Iowa goes, as we just said, Trump, uh, uh, New Hampshire's eight days later, Trump is coming out of a victory in Iowa. 
and Nikki Haley is stronger in New Hampshire, but Chris Christie is stronger in New Hampshire. Right. The reason he wants to stay through New Hampshire is he's he's doing the best, and the best is, what is he, 14 15, points? 15, like 14 percent. He's tied, oh, yeah. statistically tied with Nikki. So that's like the best Chris Christie can expect, because you, you have to remember all the polls show him to be the most disliked candidate among Republicans. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who else is in the race. He's the most disliked. So he does his best in, in New Hampshire. So if Christie stays in and Haley is in, um, it, it's, it's very, very, it would be very, very hard to beat them. It'd be hard for them to beat Trump anyway, anyway. if they were just one of them. Anyway, so the former president is going to be the nominee. If you were a betting man, you would bet, and you had to bet everything, you'd bet on Trump. I mean, you just would, right? You're not, you're not dumb. I'm not dumb. If we had to bet our house, we'd bet on right. Trump. You, you, would, you would avoid uh, making such a bet because unexpected things happen. But if you actually absolutely had to make a bet, yeah, you'd bet on it. Okay, so if you're the former president, and Susie, who's running his campaign, is very smart. What's your advice to him? Well, he, he's, everything he's doing right now is paying off in more um, support in the polls. We have to remember there was the Wall Street Journal poll that uh, came out finally yesterday that showed him with big lead nationally, not only in a head-to-head with Joe Biden, but in a, in a multi-candidate race, if you throw in uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Cornell West and some some other candidates. That makes Trump's lead even bigger. You had the CNN poll that showed him with solid leads in Georgia over Biden in, over, in Georgia and Michigan. Yesterday was maybe one of the best polling days Trump ever had. And it just happened to coincide with the day that the Biden appointed prosecutor who was trying to jail him before the 2024 election went to the Supreme Court to ask for an extraordinary measure to speed up the process of yep. prosecuting Trump yep. so that he can be convicted. No idea. Fanatics never know. Fanatics never know that they look like a fanatic. And Jack Smith looks like a fanatic. Uh, Byron, are you aware that the three judges who revoked and changed the gag order on Trump are all Democratic appointees, two from Obama, one from Biden, and they all got out of the Senate Judiciary Committee on straight party line votes. Do they have no idea how this looks to the rest of the country? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it, it, the, the fact that the, the Biden administration's appointed prosecutor is trying to uh, convict and imprison the opposition candidate before the election and is racing because there's a possibility that if the Supreme Court follows standard procedure, it won't happen before the election. Uh, the, the, you know, the, these are just facts, and I, I'm not sure how they don't recognize They are just facts, and there's an unprecedented gag order on him, and that's yeah. a fact. It's a prior restraint. I've been teaching con law since 1996. You know what my first lecture is in, in the First Amendment, which is, we hate prior restraints. We don't do prior restraints. Never uphold a prior restraint on a bar exam. Byron, can you stick around for one more segment? Because I want to play this out with you. Sure, be happy. All right, great. Byron York will be right back. Because it really is astonishing. Everybody is ancient, and everything is preordained. It's like a Marvel comic book. It's like we know what's going to happen here. And and still, the, the freight cars are headed toward each other. Byron York will be back to tell us. How, how this doesn't end the way we think it ends with former President Trump back in the White House in January of 2025. Stay tuned. Have yourself 
A merry little Christmas. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Byron York is with me. Byron, during the break, the Harvard Crimson broke that Claudine Gay is going to get her job back. She's not going to get fired. And uh, WMUR uh, Channel 9 in New Hampshire reports that Governor Chris Sununu is going to endorse Nikki Haley tonight. Neither of these are particularly a surprise to either of them matter. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, New Hampshire. And uh, what's interesting here is it, it, we've seen something in Iowa where the governor, Kim Reynolds, endorsed um, uh, Ron DeSantis, broke her, her own precedent and endorsed Ron DeSantis. And everybody kind of sat back and waited to see some effects from it. And they really haven't seen them. DeSantis has kind of stabilized, and he improved three points uh, since October uh, in the Des Moines Register poll, but it really didn't, it wasn't a world changer in Iowa. So the question is, would it be a world changer in New Hampshire as well? And I, I want to give one little warning about New Hampshire. Um, we haven't had a poll. I'm looking at the Real Clear Politics average of polls in New Hampshire, which is where I always go. Um, we haven't had a poll in a month. I mean, the most recent poll is the Washington Post Monmouth poll, which was in the field uh, November 9th through 14th. So we're talking about month-old information. Uh, Trump has a 27-point lead in the average, which is huge. Uh, but we don't know, you know, how well Haley is doing. There seems to be these signs of momentum, but there were actually signs of Haley momentum in Iowa, and we didn't really see it in the new poll. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. I feel certain there's a, a serious poll out there in the field right now. Um, but in this race so far, even popular governor endorsements have not really moved the needle. And, and Byron, I have a I have a theory of the case. The most important issue in the world right now is Israel. The best president ever for Israel was Donald Trump. Some people say Nixon because of the Yom Kippur War, but Donald Trump moved the embassy and Donald Trump and Bibi were buddies. And so Republicans who support Israel are going to support Donald Trump. And the only way for Ambassador Haley to win in New Hampshire is for Chris Christie to get out. And he told me yesterday he's not getting out. So... Uh, that's his best date. He's he's you know in this with these old polls he was at eleven and that's that's way better than he is uh, anywhere else. But I mean if you look at the polls, uh, Israel is not the most important issue for uh, Republican voters or Democratic voters. For that no, matter. but salient wise in terms of voters who might change their position in a primary, the most important news event in the last two months has been Israel. And so for Republicans who are up for grab and who care about Israel, saliency matters, and that's never tested in the polls. Those free electron voters would naturally go to Trump because he's the best on Israel. Well, you would think so. Um, and, in, you know, in the uh, extremely influential uh, article calling Trump a dictator uh, in the Washington <laughs> Post, um, if you remember, the author, Robert Kagan, went through a few things and said, you know, there wasn't really a major uh, war in Ukraine when Trump was president, and there wasn't a major attack on Israel when Trump was president. And the, these, are, these are facts, and it's, it's hard to convince somebody that he's unqualified unless they already believe it. Um, so you're, you're right. I mean, you, you look at what's going on in Ukraine and you look at what's going on in Israel and you can say, well, you know, that actually wasn't happening when Donald so, Trump was president. So if Abbey Gate wouldn't have happened, Ukraine wouldn't have happened, Israel wouldn't have happened when Trump, if he'd been reelected, you might go back to him. So here's my last question, uh, Byron. 
Uh, if you were the former president and you were advising him, wouldn't you advise him, come out every day and say, I feel bad for Joe. He's clearly lost it. I can't wait to get back to the economy that we had. And Russia, 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 they're doing it again. Pay no attention to Jack Smith. I'm going to defend myself because they're just coming for me. Isn't that your whole speech every day? Well, that's kind of what he is saying. He doesn't do it every day. But, you know, Trump is absolutely ratings driven. OK, he looks at the ratings all the time. And in, in, in this game, politics, the polls are the ratings and he's doing really well. So I, my guess is uh, when you look at things like, well, is he going to take part in any of the primary debates? You look at the ratings and say, well, he's doing well in the ratings and he's probably not going to change unless there's some indication that he's falling in the ratings. So my guess is you're just not going to see any changes from Trump. Yep. I think that's it. I think it's done. I actually think it's in the oven absent some extraordinary event, but <laughs> given the actuarial tables, we can't rule that out. Byron York, always a pleasure. Follow him on Twitter at, or X, at Byron York, and on Fox News and at the Washington Examiner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.